Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Just out from John Keim, Eric Bieniemy at the podium, he said, quote, We need Sam to be at his best. He was at his best and made plays for us. Guys will struggle and have bad moments, but that's why we practiced the way we practiced. Everything won't be perfect, but the only thing you have to do is be the best team over 60 minutes. So I did my film review last night, watching the All-22, different angles, of the Commanders against the Arizona Cardinals. It's time for AY's Film Review here on the Richmond Commander. It's time for the Richmond Commander. Are you ready for some- The phones are open. It's your chance to be the quarterback of this segment. There's something I like to say. Every day at 1 p.m. on AWOD Radio, the Richmond Commander. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. During my film review, if you want to chime in, give me your thoughts on Sam Howell, it's easy. 833-804-0910. Here are a few themes I noticed, Christopher, and then I'll break it down fully. Theme number one, Sam Howell was up and Sam Howell was down. It was a roller coaster of a game for Sam Howell in his first start to the 2023 season. The defense was strong pretty much throughout the game. Uh, Great at bend but don't break and got the turnover when they needed it. You know, they always say sex sells, but the last few drives for the commanders were not sexy at all. They were just effective. 18 runs to two passes. So here is AWOD's film review from the commanders' 20-16 win over the Arizona Cardinals. The first two drives... Howell looked really good out the gate. He was accurate. He was getting the ball out quick. Problem, Logan Thomas let him down on two occasions, but then he made up for it in the middle of the field with the catch and got Sam some rhythm. McLaurin burned his man on a uh, pass interference, and that was huge for Sam's confidence there on one of those opening drives. The offense, I felt like, looked good. When you talk about the difference that Eric Bieniemy makes, it's guys going in motion. I loved the run to Curtis Samuel. Here's why I loved that run after watching the film. It was Curtis Samuel in the backside backfield alongside Brian Robinson Jr., who was the lead blocker on the play for a six-yard run. I don't see how that's not six yards every time because Brian Robinson Jr. loves to hit people. Howell with a nice play, keeping it alive right after that, was able to find Robinson for the touchdown. That capped off a great drive by Howell. Honestly, that was his best drive of the game. It was the same drive in which he got hit in the head. Wow, that shows what type of a gamer he is. Defense lost his focus after the touchdown drive, lost gap control on the film. You could see Arizona had four explosive plays. It was very reminiscent of the 2022 season against the Detroit Lions Week 2 where you had so many big plays on one drive. Luckily, Zach Ertz dropped the touchdown pass, but it really could have been 7-7. Honestly, defense got burnt all drive um, for the Arizona Cardinals there. You spread us out, and you can beat Washington. You crowd the box, and Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat will eat you up all night, and you won't get any yards. That's the biggest thing I noticed there from that drive. Commanders get the ball back. It's 7-3. to three, And they tried to take a deep shot on first down. Howell had to get out and escape uh, and ended up getting just one yard on the play. Flags would then back the drive up. And that was kind of a theme that I noticed as well. It was 
Howell is not good enough, and, and so many quarterbacks around the league, not named pa- uh, Patrick Mahomes, are not good enough to make up for a holding or pass interference. After that, Howell forced a pass. It was his first interceptable ball of the day. I noticed four interceptable passes on the day for Howell. Look, this was a stat that we tracked last year with Taylor Heineke. It's only fair that we track it with Sam Howell as well. That was his first uh, interceptable pass of the day. I did not like his decision to force it to Logan Thomas. He was throwing to Logan often in the first half. Uh, Very next play, like I said, you started to notice Howell's confidence go down after the flag. He had the interceptable ball. Next pass was his first interception of the season. And you could see how he went from best drive of the game to worst. And I think part of that's on Howell. Part of that's on Eric Bieniemy. He opened up the playbook and allowed Sam to look at taking a deep shot. What happened? Sam Howell hold, held onto the ball too long. I will give him credit. The next play to Logan Thomas was nice, but a penalty brought it back, and that's when he started forcing it because a first and 20 situation is so tough for a young quarterback. He's thinking, man, I'm behind in the sticks. I got to make a play. At that point, your QB becomes a liability. He's too young, and his decision-making at this level hasn't been tested enough. He's going to falter in decisions and situations where he's facing third and long, first and long, second and long. How do we fix this? The team, the individuals, all of them on the field, the coaches, all need to work together to keep Howell from these situations. Don't get past interference. Don't get called for holding. Don't have a false start. All right. Don't get. Don't let your man get beat, and then you, Sam Howell gets sacked. All of those things put the offense behind the sticks, and that is what I noticed is when Sam Howell is at his worst, behind the sticks. Arizona gets a field goal at 7-6. Washington gets the ball back, and I'm thinking – how do we calm Sam Howell down, right? How do we calm him down? Eric Bieniemy had the answer. Hand it off. Nice run by Robinson. Another run by Robinson. Robinson's picking up first downs by himself. After a few runs, Bieniemy set up Howell in the single back. All right? And if you're listening right now, this was the play call of the game by Eric Bieniemy. Washington's up 7-6. The offense is having some success running the ball to Brian Robinson Jr. In comes Antonio Gibson. It's a play action to Gibson. Great protection. McLaurin ran a post route and is gone. Completely burned his man. I'm watching this replay three times trying to figure out what Sam Howell was thinking. The answer, he didn't have the confidence to throw deep. He held on to the ball. I don't know what he was waiting for. Terry had a step on his man. You know what he did? He ran for one yard. Howell had the chance to hit the home run ball there. It came after his worst drive of the game, right? Where he had the interception and he had the bad throw to Logan Thomas, the other interceptable ball. And I think he was scared to take that deep shot. It was an incredible play call by Bienemy. McLaurin was wide open for six points. Hal just didn't throw it. I will give Hal credit. Next play, he would hit McLaurin in the middle of the field for 20 yards. It was a great throw. And at that point, he started getting the confidence again. He's feeling it. Makes his best throw of the game to Cole Turner. You all remember that play if you watched the game. Cole Turner steps back in the pocket, moves up, hits Cole Turner. It was very impressive. And on review, I felt like that was a turning point in this game, right? You miss a deep shot to McLaurin. You blew an opportunity to go up 14-6 to and put this game maybe to bed early. But then you hit McLaurin in the middle of the field. You hit Cole Turner. Howell's starting to gain some confidence. 
his confidence, I feel like, is going to be a roller coaster this season. Um, because you know what happened? It's the theme of the film review for week one. Every time we go up, you must come down. He makes his best throw of the game to Cole Turner. What happens the very next play? They hand the ball off to Antonio Gibson in the red zone. Fumble! Fumble. I mean, that's the pattern I noticed throughout the film review. Anytime he has his best throw, the next play is the worst play. And it's not always his fault, right? It's just best to worst, up to down. It's got to be tough for Eric Bieniemy to manage that, especially, like I said, when somebody else lets the team down, right? It's not like Sam Howell fumbled the ball. It was Antonio Gibson on that play. It was a penalty on the drive before. They cannot afford to have mistakes like that, especially in the red zone. That was a major turning point. Defense was able to get the hold there. A great drive by the defense. Anytime a play broke down and you thought maybe Arizona was going to get some yards, some defender would step up, get a pass deflection, or they would just force Dobbs to make a terrible pass. Washington would get the ball back, and when the play breaks down, I noticed that Howell's first tendency is to run rather than throw the ball away. And that's why I credit him for a few of the sacks that we noticed. Six sacks. I would credit four of them on Sam Howell. He just has a tendency to move around in the pocket and try to make something rather than just throw the ball away. Just live to fight another down. Um, I also think it's, it's worrisome because that's how he could get hurt. That's how he could get hurt. That drive in which Howell was kind of running for his life after the defense got a stop, ended with another bad throw behind Terry McLaurin. That was interceptable ball number two of my film review. Washington would get the ball back and have a very successful drive. We'll break that down further after this quick commercial break. You're listening to AWOD's film review for week one, Washington against the Cardinals. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the Washington Commanders. All of the games can be heard here in Richmond on the Odyssey app. This Sunday will be on WRVA 1140 AM as the Squirrels season is still ongoing. So the Commanders defeated the Cardinals 20-16. Sam Howell, 19 of 31, 202 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He also ran for a score. But six sacks, suffering 46 yards in losses on those sacks. As we continue, AWOD's film review for week one here on The Fan. So the biggest thing that I noticed was when Washington let Howell throw the ball, he really does prefer to throw it inside the hash marks, all right? He starts the next drive with a great throw across the middle to Jahan Dotson. I mean, a bullet, a laser beam. And I'm thinking to myself, he can hit these middle throws with ease. That's his hot spot. It's like he can hit uh, he can hit the middle of the dartboard. Boom, bingo. He can hit the bullseye. I'm just not sure he can hit the triple 20s, right? Can he hit the passes outside of the hash marks? He's really good inside of the numbers. Uh, that's the one thing I noticed for sure after this film review. Curtis Samuel, I thought, was involved a lot after watching the game uh, on replay because of how good the defense did of covering Dotson and McLaurin. I mean, it was like Sam Samuel was getting himself into matchups where he could take advantage of 
being in the slot or taking advantage of a safety up against him or even a linebacker, whereas Dotson and McLaurin had the number one corners on them at all times. Uh, it was at that point when you had Sam Howell have his third interceptable ball of the game. Richmond's own Kayvon Wallace jumped a forced pass to Cole Turner. Howell loves his tight ends. The Cardinals were reading it. The theme continues, right? From good to bad, from bad to good, from terrible to amazing. He bounces back from a bad turnover. He bounces back from a bad pass, fires a 30-yard pass to Curtis Samuel on a bullet. I mean, just hits him in stride. It was one of the most incredible passes I've seen a Washington quarterback make in the last 10 years. The offensive line would then have a bad couple of series. And at that point in the film review, I noticed the weather was definitely a factor. When you're watching the game live from your TV, you didn't really notice that it turned into a monsoon. Uh, you could see that on the replay. Howell would also hold on to the ball too long. He was waiting for people to break open downfield, these longer developing plays, when he had guys open for three or four yards. Robinson would then drop a screen pass, and that could have been a game-changing play. I mean, the momentum would have shifted completely because Robinson dropped the screen pass and it almost landed into the Cardinals' hands for them to walk into the end zone for another touchdown. The defense at that point, though, for Washington would change the momentum for us, right? It, it was so crazy watching the replay. You nearly have a back-breaking turnover, right, with Howell's pass to Robinson being high, and it goes in and out of his hands amidst the wet conditions of the field. Arizona almost gets a great interception. What happens? Washington punts, and the defense for Washington changed the momentum. You had the three straight plays that everyone's been talking about, which was the Deron Payne tackle for loss, the Jonathan Allen tackle for loss, and then the Montez Sweat sack fumble. And just like that, Washington would get the ball back with Hal giving a short field. This was when Washington would go away from the sex appeal of throwing the ball downfield and keep it short and simple. 18 runs to two passes from there on out as Washington would go on to win the game. Robinson became such a good power back, and it feels to me like anytime there's a hole, it's a six-yard carry. Now, red zone issues were huge last year. Washington gets the ball back in short field. Couple runs to Robinson. Boom, they're right into the red zone. This was a major red zone trip. Howell had Logan Thomas um, going to his right, but he decided to run to his left. He went left all game. That was something I noticed, and I think fans of the team should take a look at this weekend against the Broncos. When Howell is rolling to his left, it was successful. When he was going to his right, it was not. He ends up rolling to his left, not finding anyone open, scrambles into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. Washington would get the ball right back. And you're thinking, run, 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 right? No. One more pass. And this was an interesting one because this was another play where I think it could have easily been a game-losing backwards pass fumble return for a touchdown. How drops back and throws it to Robinson, who makes a sick one-handed snag, a great catch. I think it was a game-saving catch. I seriously do. Because the pass was going backwards. If Robinson drops that, it's a live ball. Fumble Ruski on the field. And the Cardinals could have easily picked it up and won the game. Next play, the screen to Gibson, the play everyone's talking about. The get-off-the-field play turned, maybe he got it, turned the unsuccessful challenge play. Even though he definitely got the first down, I don't know how the NFL botched that, 
I had to put that in my film review. The NFL owes Washington one first down because, gosh dang it, they got it completely wrong on that Gibson play. Washington gets the ball back after a defensive stop. It's run, 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 field goal. They did not trust Howell. And after watching this review, I said to myself, you should not either at this point in the game. I it, Look, just because I'm saying you can't trust Howell doesn't mean he can't win games. I just think there's points in a game where a coach needs to decide, hey, I don't think you can trust the quarterback right now to make this throw. So you know what? We're just going to run the ball. We're playing with a lead, and we have a great defense. It's not the first time that this has happened in the history of the NFL. When you have a great defense and you're playing with a lead, you just don't force it. You don't want to have the back-breaking mistake. And I think the enemy saw what I saw in the review. That backwards pass to Robinson could have been a nightmare. The commanders would go on to run, 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 and then the defense would get the final stop of the game to get off the field. Stopping Josh Dobbs on 4th and 10 with the rookie Emmanuel Forbes making an incredible pass breakup. And so that was AWOD's film review for week one of the Washington Commanders. Now let's get to our expectations for Sam Howell against the Denver Broncos. I'm expecting him to increase his yards per game from 202 in week one to get around the 240, maybe even 250 mark. Uh, this week, I think he would have gotten there if it wasn't for the sacks and the Gibson fumble, as well as his own turnovers, the fumble and the interception. And um, I'm also going to look at his completion percentage. 19 of 31 and a QB rating of 41.5. I also think that improves against Denver because, look, it's going to take him time and he's going to watch the film and he's a smart learner. You know, he, Eric Bieniemy called him Mr. Autocorrect in the offseason, and I love that. I don't think he's going to make the same mistake twice. The mistake of holding the ball too long. The mistake of forcing it downfield when you have guys open underneath. I expect the offense to be a lot more of quick hitters against the Denver Broncos this Sunday. I think they can put up 26 points. They scored 20 week one and would have had more if Antonio Gibson doesn't fumble in the red zone. And so I want Sam Howell to have... Less than 31 attempts, though. I want more runs. I want you know you had 19 carries for Brian Robinson. I want about 24 carries for Robinson, a few for Gibson, a few for Chris Rodriguez, Sam Howell to run on his own, Curtis Samuel to get a, a run or two, and I want less than 30 attempts for Sam Howell this game. We can win the game without letting him, you know, go out and sling it all over the field. Like I said, he can hit these passes inside the hash marks. All day, the 20-yard slants, the post routes, uh, the you know up and in routes, the 18-yard comebacks. He had a great pass to Jahan Dotson uh, that a lot of people were talking about on social media. He can hit the passes in the middle of the field. It's when he kind of tries to keep the ball alive and keep his feet moving in the pocket, and he's running around, running into no man's land is where he gets himself in trouble. Drop back, let it go, slinging Sammy Howell. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. We go around the ACC with Mike Barber next on The Fan. Welcome back. What up, what up, what up, everybody? I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Hope you're having a good Thursday here in Richmond, Virginia. It's September 14th, just after 1.30 p.m. Got a lot still to come on the show today. 
We will, of course, give out AWOD's Certified Game of the Week at 245. It's one NFL game every weekend that I am guaranteeing football fans across the country will enjoy. doesn't matter if it involves your team or not. It's AWOD's Certified Game of the Week. That's coming up at 245. Plus Nick Ashew, Mr. Hollywood, Nick Hollywood Ashew, will join us at 230 to give his best bets for the NFL slate and also preview Thursday night football Vikings against the Eagles. But joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer rug cleaning hotline to go around the ACC, it's the ACC beat writer at the Richmond times dispatch, Mike Barber. What's going on, Mike? Good to talk to you again. Absolutely. I think we should start with what Michael Phillips, my new uh, coworker dubbed as the barber bowl this weekend. (laughs) I, I, I like that. You know, you could make the case, you could make the case that JMU UVA was a Barber Bowl since I spent a decade covering uh, the Dukes, but certainly Rutgers, my alma mater, and, and Virginia Tech. Uh, looking forward to, to being back on campus. I haven't been back there since, I think, 2006. I, I was on my way to cover a JMU Villanova game, and I stopped for that big uh, Rutgers-Louisville, the year that Louisville got up to number three in the polls and, and Rutgers beat them on a last-second field goal. So uh, it'll be good to be back uh Back on campus. What do you think Virginia Tech's offense is going to look like? A ton of injuries. Yeah, I think they're going to look bad. Uh, um, I, I think that, you know, th- this offense was really transformed. And, you know, Ricky Ronnie, the old Dominion coach, used that word uh, by the transfer receivers. And now uh, Ali Jennings is out. Jalen Lane is banged up. Grant Wells, the quarterback, is dealing with an ankle injury. Um, the offensive line has not been good. The running game has been non existent. Um, it's only going to be worse with these injuries at the receiver and quarterback position. So uh, I, I don't have high hopes for the Hokies scoring much uh, on Saturday. Defensively, how are they going to look going up against the Scarlet Knights offense? Yeah, I, I think Virginia Tech's defense is, is where they have to hang their hat. And, and um, I don't know, matchup-wise, spot-by-spot, how that will work out in, in this one. You know, But Rutgers, this is not a world-beater Rutgers team by any stretch, and it's not a great offensive team. Um, I think that Virginia Tech, if they can slow down the running game, they have a chance to make this an ugly, low-scoring game, which is kind of what Vegas is looking for, right, if you look at the over-under. Yeah. Um, this is a game that if you're Virginia Tech and you're going to win, you're probably going to win at 17-13, uh, kind of like Iowa-style football. <laughs> uh, so that's what you're looking for if you're a Virginia Tech. And, and if you're Rutgers, uh, you know, you're, you're hoping that – with the offensive problems Virginia Tech has, that they couldn't even get to 17. And that'll be 3.30 p.m., and the coverage starts right here on 910 The Fan with Bill Roth at 1.30. Uh, you mentioned UVA JMU. Let's rewind back to last week for a second, because all of us in the building here are in agreement that if the UVA fan base stayed in the building, they win that game. <laughs> I don't know if it's that simple, but that certainly hurt. Um, the atmosphere was just outstanding. The turnout was great. The energy was ev- you know, everything they wanted. And then the rain comes. You have an hour and 12 delay. And we came back you know, after the rain delay, and all of a sudden it was a JMU home game. That Their fans stayed. Uh, I've got a lot of friends there, and, and they uh, not only stayed, but they kind of, because the stadium had emptied out, they worked their way down to cl- close to field level. The JMU players talked about coming out of the locker room and seeing all that purple. Uh, the Virginia players kind of didn't play it off, but they said things like, you know, hey, we can't worry about what's happening in the stands. We have to worry about ourselves. But 
there's no doubt that there was a lack of energy and um, just the, the atmosphere really turned on them. And, and that was a tough spot, I think, for Virginia emotionally to, to try to ramp up for a day like that and then have to shut it down for an hour and then have to ramp back up and then your fans aren't there to help you. Um, yeah, that was a disappointing sh- showing by the Virginia fans. And Virginia travels to College Park to take on the Terps. UMD 2-0 and on the season. Coach Loxley has completely turned around that program. Uh, Tua's younger brother is there for another season. He's off to a hot start. But, Mike, I cover UVA, obviously, with this job. And I've really enjoyed every conversation I've had with Tony Elliott. I think he made a huge mistake. Rarely after a loss does your offense have serious momentum. And Anthony Calandria broke a ton of freshman records I think they should have kept him as QB1. I, I think that's oversimplifying it. I do. Um, you know, I think there's a reason that Tony Musket beat out Anthony Calandria. I, I don't think comparing Tony Musket's game against Tennessee to Calandria's game against JMU, uh, especially a JMU team that focused so heavily on the run and um, kind of left a lot of things open in the secondary. I, I think it's great that Calandria looks uh, more ready and more capable than I think most of us expected. Um, but the idea that you just go to him because he had a, a big half against James Madison, I, I just don't think that would make sense. Plus, you got to look at it this way. If you believe Calandria is the guy, you've got two games coming up here that are going to be real tough to win, Maryland and NC State. And then after that, you've got a stretch of much more attackable opponents. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to Calandria and it doesn't work out, it's a mess trying to go back to Musket. But if you stick with Musket as your starter and things don't go well for the next couple of weeks, you can seamlessly go to Calandria at that point. So uh, to me, from managing this thing long term, yeah, I mean, if you're focused on trying to upset Maryland, I don't know. I I still think Musket's your guy, but I could certainly make an argument for Calandria. But if you're focused on trying to get some wins on the board this season and have a good season, to me, this is the way you got to play it. Well, let's talk this through further, though, because it is an interesting topic here. I mean, what will Tony Musket's success do for this program, big picture? Because it's not like he's going to play here next year, right? I mean, isn't the answer let Calandria shine and then you could build something and then maybe by year two or three of Calandria, you could compete in the ACC instead of being at the bottom of the pack? Well, first off, I'm pretty sure Musket has the option to apply for that extra year because of the COVID season. Um, so I think the plan had always been to have Musket as your starter for two seasons. But certainly if Calandria overtakes him, that's only a, a good thing for Virginia. Mm-hmm. But I think the sense from the coaches is that Calandria is not ready at this point to overtake him. Um, that you know what they get out of Musket, what they can do with Musket um, is just more than what they can do with Calandria. Now, the thing that I like about Calandria in terms of fitting with this year's team is the fact that this offensive line is a train wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, they're terrible. They've let up eight sacks through two games. Calandria gives you the ability to kind of keep his head up, scramble around, keep plays alive, uh, turn something, you know, make something out of nothing. Yeah. Um, that's where there's some value. But according to the coaches, Musket can do a lot of those things too. And I think until we see Tony Musket play a game in this offense – that isn't against an opponent like Tennessee, I think it's hard to, to question that. It's Mike Barber with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Follow Mike 
on social media at RTD underscore Mike Barber, ACC writer for the Richmond Times Dispatch. You can read his great work online at richmond.com and check out the Teal and Barber podcast for all the latest ACC news. A pretty good matchup in Morgantown, West Virginia, Pittsburgh against WVU. Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny because. Rutgers and Virginia Tech was an old Big East matchup. And uh, when I was at college, that was what the backyard brawl was. And, and certainly the tradition there, the rivalry there. Um, you know, Pittsburgh right now, the loss to Cincinnati to me is, I don't want to say the red flag, but it's, it's the most alarming result for the ACC. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had some great wins when you think about uh, North Carolina and you think about Florida State, uh, certainly Miami over Texas A&M this past weekend. But that Cincinnati victory over Pittsburgh, I think is a sneaky damage, a sneaky dent in the armor for the ACC. It'll be interesting to see kind of how Pittsburgh bounces back in a game that, you know, both sides obviously are going to be up for. Duke Blue Devils 2-0 and on the season. Riley Leonard looks unbelievable. It was a great win against Clemson. They blow out Lafayette. They've got Northwestern, then UConn, and then a good matchup against Notre Dame. Can Duke win the ACC this season? I don't think so. I, I don't think that they're at that level. Um, but I think that they're, I think they're proving that they're more established and more for real. I think there's still some people that thought last year's success, while, while impressive, had a lot more to do maybe with the schedule. Um, and I think what they're showing is, hey, they've got something going there in Durham that, that they can win consistently. But you, know, you mentioned that stretch coming up. I think there's a bunch of wins. And then Notre Dame is, is kind of where you're going to see a little bit maybe more. Um, it's going to be interesting, right? Like, is Clemson going to be the high water moment for this program for like a five-year window? Or was that like an announcement that, hey, Duke is here to compete? Um, I still don't think uh, they're on the level of a Florida State. Uh, I still don't think, honestly, if they you know rematch Clemson on a neutral field, I'd probably take Clemson. Um, but certainly Duke has uh, proven to be uh, more formidable and more legit than some people who dismiss them based on last year's schedule including the ACC or outside of the ACC. What, what do you think is the best college football game this weekend? Well, that's a good one. I'm not sure that I've, I've studied the board much beyond the two games that I'm covering. Uh, so I don't know that I would have a great answer for you on that one. I really need to, uh, I really need to get my TV guide out. <laughs> I know I'll be watching Tennessee at Florida at 7 p.m. Uh, that should be a decent game. And then Florida State-Boston College, is there a chance that that's close at the half, or is Florida State just going to roll past them? Yeah, I I don't like Boston College's chances at all in that. I I think, again, and I know we've talked about this, Florida State has built itself up the right way. So I don't think Florida State is, is as susceptible to the dips as, say, maybe you know Miami in an up year, Carolina in an up year where you know, they're there, but they're not really established. I think this Florida State team is established. I think, you know, they're, last time I checked, it was like a 24-point uh, favorite. I think they're going to go and take care of business in games like this. And I, and I think that's one of the marks of being the best team in the ACC. And it's something that Clemson, with a few Clemsoning moments aside, uh, did a nice job of was, you know, the games that they were supposed to win kind of taking care of business. And um, I expect Florida State to, do, to win that game handily. Mike, great stuff as always, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep, that's Mike Barber. Check him. Check his workout online at richmond.com. You should also check out the podcast, Teal and Barber, if you're a fan of UVA, Virginia Tech, or any of the ACC schools. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Richmond's home for VCU basketball. Every game can be heard right here on 910 The Fan. Love working alongside Robbie Robinson and Rodney Ashby. I do pregame and halftime. And during the basketball season, you hear this voice all the time. It's Ed Nixon. What's going on, Ed? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I had to get you into the building because you, you're my kind of like go-between between like the journalist aspect of things and a guy that was a former player. And this story that came out yesterday involves a current player on the VCU basketball team as VCU's Joe Bamisil released a statement after his attempt for a waiver to play this season for the Rams was denied by the NCAA. Here are the words of Joe Bamisil. He said, quote, I am very sad to announce that the NCAA denied my waiver to play basketball this year at VCU. From an outsider perspective, I am another collegiate student athlete moving from school to school. In reality, I transferred home to VCU because my father had open-heart surgery and since has survived two major life-threatening scares this past year. The NCAA approved my waiver to participate at Oklahoma because my previous institution, GW, I struggled with severe anxiety and self-isolation and I needed a new environment to address my health, mental health challenges. He went on with a, a very heartfelt basically four-page post. Did you get a chance to read it, Ed? I did. I did. How would you react to that, man? It's a situation where it really uh, is unfortunate for Joe. Um, I met him. I've talked to the coaches about him. I've even spoken to some of the the Richmond locals who've seen him in high school. I get the same report. Really good kid. Extremely hard worker. He's a gym rat. Um, And unfortunately, the NCAA – is judging him uh, in a sense because of his transfer history. Uh, When in actuality, you know, things happen in life and those things have led Joe to come back to VCU. And unfortunately, from the outside looking in, it just doesn't appear that way. Yeah, this story broke yesterday on my show and I was very upset by the NCAA's decision. It just appears, like he said, from an outsider perspective, I am another collegiate student athlete moving from school to school. That's not the case in reality. And it feels like the NCAA didn't do enough research into this situation. It, that's likely. They have, with with the transfer portal being as open and as the, the wild, wild west that it is, uh, I imagine that they're reading things on a service level. There's a lot of people, especially even in football and basketball, that are being denied. Um, you would think that Joe wouldn't be or fit the typical situation. Um, however, that's just how they viewed it. Now, can VCU go back and impill it again? I'm not really sure. I don't know the next steps, um, but I will be checking in with some of the coaches to see what they think. Yeah, I've been looking into this situation. Uh, Zach Joaquin of the Richmond Times-Dispatch told me that Ed McLaughlin, the athletic director for VCU, will be making a public statement at 3 p.m. I believe Ryan Odom will address it as well on the coaches show. And here's what I want to say is that everybody in town has Joe Bamisil's back, right? Right. And, and the fact that he wants to play for VCU, we love that, and we want to make it happen. And so if the NCAA is smart, they will take a closer look at this situation and change their decision because it's just so frustrating because of the fact that I feel like they're holding a student-athlete back but yet all they're looking at is dollar signs. You know, my whole take yesterday was 
The NCAA does not care about their student-athletes. They care about the amount of eyes that will be on their nationally televised games. And VCU has 20 of those this season. And that's all they care about. I mean, I would 1,000% agree that they care about the bottom line more so than anything else, period. Mm-hmm. Um, they've shown that uh, the only reason the NIL came about is because now kids are going overseas to play ball. And now there's uh, the, o- the OTE League or the G League that, right. that, that high school players can have access to to go get paid. If they didn't change, they'll be left behind. Their dollar sign, the bottom line, w- w- would be affected. So, boom, now you have the NIL. So, to say that they're going to be moved by anything else other than a dollar sign would be naive for someone to think. I, I totally agree. So, had, had you ever dealt with anything similar to this? Throughout your time at VCU, did you ever deal with a guy trying to transfer in or out and he got denied? No. 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 I think the closest thing we had was uh, a situation with Jamie Skeen trying to get in. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to dive into that too much, <laughs> but, uh, I think the closest thing we had was Jamie Skeen trying to get into VCU and it was a little bit of a struggle or something like that, but it ended up working out. I have not experienced a player trying or attempting to play for VCU and being denied by the NCAA. It's a frustrating situation. If you want to chime in or if you have a question for Ed Nixon, it's 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. Is there anything else you'd want to say about the Joe Bamisil situation before we move on? I, I just want to uh, tell him to keep his head up. Yeah. Um, I know dealing with a, a parent, the parent's health can be very serious. Um, he's already dealing with mental health issues. Uh, hopefully he's getting help for that as well. Yeah, and he um, mentioned that in his post. And and I love how he's be so, being so open about that. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, apparently, Joe Joe is a is a guy that will read two books a week. Wow. Um, he he is very astute and he's um a very different kid. He's very mature for his age. So um, with all that with all this going on swirling, I just I just wish him the best. Uh, thoughts and prayers to him. I totally agree. So you've been able to stop down, stop by the BDC and see the new look Rams practicing, and this is another reason why this this situation with Joe is being heightened in my mind because the Rams are trying to replace their entire starting five. Right, For a, a team that won the A10 championship and <laughs> would have been a top ten ranked team. Mike Rhodes moves on. The starting five moves on. Some of them with him. So you've been able to see some of the new look guys at the BDC. What'd you think? Absolutely. We have a very unique situation here at VCU uh, this year with, I want to say, eight new players. Uh, two being, you know, Shugla and... Uh, Barristow. Barristow from, from Utah State. Both of them are very experienced with, with Coach O. Uh, they know the system. So they've been very helpful with bringing guys along and helping them learn the system and what Coach O is expecting. Uh, and another thing... That kind of ties in with Joe Joe's situation. If Joe can't go, say say we appeal, they say no. Still, the good thing is we have a very deep roster. Yeah. And not only is this roster a deep roster, all the guys on this team have something to prove. Outside of the two Utah State transfers, everyone else. Look at uh, Zeb Jackson. Mm-hmm. Zeb Jackson is a McDonald's All-American all almost. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. He he went to Mount Verdon, went to Michigan, and he tried to get his footing back into, into college basketball last year. Did a pretty good job. He's looking to take a step. Look at the transfer from Richmond. He's coming over to VCU looking for a new start. 
Jason Nelson. Jason Nelson. Look at What about Michael Fats. Bell? Look at well, let me let me say this about Fats. Yeah, Fats yeah. is a homegrown talent. Prestige he has prestige prestige player. Didn't really get to touch the court last year. Had a couple injuries. Didn't really get to, to find his his rhythm. He is looking to get some playing time. He has a lot of family and friends around Richmond that really want to see him go out and do do well on the court. I know he's fighting hard, and Barristow is going to push him to be a great player. Now, Michael Bell is a raw talent to me. I've right. seen him do things. He's the guy I don't know much about. He's 6'7", 6'6", freshman, the body of a NBA player already, um, huge hands. His natural ability is going to get him on the court already. He's defensively talented. I don't doubt that he'll he'll find himself in late game situations strictly because his rebounding and defensive ability. It's Ed Nixon hanging out with us here on the new sports radio nine ten the fan now at one oh five one FM. If you want to chime in, phone lines are open 833-804-0910. That's 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere, don't change that dial. We'll be right back. 